We're continuing our little series uh, that we're preaching between uh, Easter and, and Pentecost over the next few week, weeks, uh, reflecting on the, the encounters that people had with Jesus uh, in the, the time uh, between uh, his uh, death and the coming of the Spirit. And so uh, Hilton did a really good job last week uh, as he spoke about those two men on the road to Emmaus uh, and uh, uh, they were going back to the upper room from, uh, from Emmaus. They were going back uh, to be with their buddies in the upper room and, uh, and I want to pick that up this morning. So I'm reading to you around the preparing for Pentecost uh, just the account of the disciples in the upper room. These few verses from verse 36 to 38 in Luke 24, it picks up from where Hilton left off last week as he dealt with uh, the, the two on the Emmaus Road. And in this little passage is uh, the picture of, of the upper room thing. And so while they were still talking about this, because they went back to the upper room and they were telling their friends and the, the other disciples what had happened. Uh, this is where it happens. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened. If you think a moment, just to stop there. Can you imagine if you were in that upper room and that happened, what would you do? I mean, you know, we're talking about the supernatural in a sense, aren't we? Uh, you know, we just read this. We've read this passage a million times. But, but, you know, if you kind of put yourself in their place, they're talking about among themselves, and suddenly there's Jesus. And you kind of wonder, you know, they was, I think it's, a, it's an understatement to say they were startled and frightened, thinking that they'd seen a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Just that little passage I always, when it comes to this time of the year, every year, I always see this post-Easter, pre-Pentecost uh, period as a sort of hold-your-breath period uh, leading up to the great events of Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit. It's that kind of hiatus, that kind of vacuum, uh, in a sense, that happens between uh, the Easter event and, and the Pentecost event. Uh, of them being filled with the Spirit. And I've often wondered what or, what or how uh, did the disciples in the upper room deal with the period between Easter and Pentecost. All we've got is that little passage. And you've got to read between the lines. You've got to put some flesh on it to try and uh, put yourself in their, in, their, in their place and in their boots. Uh, if I'm guessing right, they were terrified out of their skulls because what has happened, what was happening, what they'd seen and, and, and all the rest was something that they'd never had to deal with before. Is there any doubt that they went and locked themselves away, uh, in the, withdrew because they couldn't cope and thought that maybe if they just huddled together, you know, something, something good might happen. Who knows what they were thinking? We don't ever have a clue about what they're talking about. It's all conjecture. We just have to wonder at, at what was happening. If you stop and think about it a little and try to put yourself in their place, uh, think about what was going on in that room. I would suggest fear. They must have been frightened out of their skulls because what was happening, what they'd seen happen, had 
didn't make sense to them. Maybe there was hope. I would, I would guess it helplessness, uncertainty, many questions, doubt. And going on a little further, going fishing. <laughs> One of them said, I've had enough here, I'm going fishing. And maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but be that as it may. Certainly, I would suspect there was a lack of faith because they didn't understand. Why did they withdraw? We don't know, do we? Why didn't they recognize him? Were they looking in the wrong place? What were they expecting to happen? And if you think about it, they didn't have a clue what was going to happen. We have hindsight. And at the same time, it's a human condition if you think about it. We humans tend to withdraw and we tend to deny what is happening, especially when it appears to be negative. Maybe, just maybe, as they huddled in that room, they were reflecting on what they'd experienced. And they were, I'm sure, agonizing and, and maybe wondering, what are we going to do now? What next? Now, all this is hindsight, I realize, because we know better. But be that as it may, maybe they were reflecting on all the things that Jesus had said and done. And I want to suggest that as Christians in this day and age, this is a good time to reflect on some of the things that Jesus has said and done for us in our lives, perhaps. The prophecies, maybe. The promises that he made. Maybe I can play on some words uh, this morning. It is post-Easter after all. And the Spirit is coming. And that's optimism. But I think we can learn from the story, just the brief story that we've heard of these men in that upper room. It's amazing, you know. I was halfway through my prayer in the first service and and I started to cough. And I coughed and I coughed. <laughs> and somebody rushed down and gave me a bottle of water. And and I had half a half a bottle of water uh, to try and sort my throat out. And I want to use this just for a moment. And it was ironic because uh, I wanted half a glass of, or half a bottle of water uh, to use. And I needed it to have the first half myself. But look at this bottle of water. Is it half full or is it half empty? Hands up those who think it's half empty. Yeah, you cowards. <laughs> You're all cowards. You think you know what I'm going to say, don't you? <laughs> but I think maybe our lives are something like this. I think some of us live lives as if the, the bottle's half empty. And others live it as though it's half full. How about you?
Because you see, how we see our lives will determine whether we live with optimism or pessimism. If you, in my mind, the story of the upper room is about pessimism. They'd locked themselves away. They were hiding. They wanted nothing to do uh, with what was going on there, probably because they didn't understand. But they did the cowardly thing or the, the, the chicken run or the easy thing, and they simply locked themselves away and made, you know, like pull the blanket over your heads and make believe it didn't happen. I suspect that's what they were doing. So many lives are broken and stained and helpless and hopeless. And I suspect some of them are sitting here. And Jesus came and comes to address all this. Do you not think that Easter is not just about Sunday, Easter Sunday, but rather that Easter ends with Pentecost, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, and somehow we've got this time to get our act together, uh, to, to reflect and to think and to ponder and to pray and, and sometimes worry. Because in spite of the awful and the sickening and the bloody story of Easter, it still needs to be colored by hope, surely. Because you see, the Spirit is coming. And we know that. Or put it another way, the Spirit has come. And this is the reminder, if you like. Whatever, however we're facing things, the Spirit is coming. The Spirit is with us. And so let's have a look. Look at the stained glass window behind me. It was made uh, and created uh, by someone who had been to Emmaus, to the Emmaus weekend, and had had an incredible encounter with Jesus at that Emmaus weekend. And uh, this was a hobby. And he decided that he would put a stained glass window together that would somehow tell some of the Emmaus story. And it was originally made for the chapel at Sun Valley. Uh, some of us did our Emmaus walks at Sun Valley. Um, and if you look closely, it's obviously a story uh, of, of Easter. And the man who, who put the thing together when, when it was unveiled said, you know what, I blew it. And we said, why? He said, I created this picture as a a picture of the communion, of the Holy Communion. And he said, I left out the chalice. And everybody said to him, but you didn't. The chalice is there, of course, you can see it. That was an accident. He didn't put that in, intending it to represent the chalice from the Holy Communion. And you wonder why the Emmaus community feel very protective about that stained glass window. Because it tells the story. It's the story for me of 
the journey from brokenness to hope, little bits of broken glass that are gathered together and molded into a something special and something beautiful. You see, in the right hands, broken pieces of glass create beautiful stained glass windows that leave us in awe of beauty and creativity. And I want to say to you that in the hands of God, broken, hopeless, and helpless people transformed by his amazing love and the power of the Holy Spirit can become hope-filled works of art that leave everybody speechless. In God's hands and by the power of his spirit, anyone becomes a beautiful Beautiful picture. And I think that the post-Easter period is about broken, hopeless people searching and longing for their glasses to be full and not half empty. Post-Easter, pre-Pentecost, is about hope and more hope and much more hope. And Pentecost is about the Holy Spirit and power and power and more power. And in a sense, those disciples in that upper room had to discover that. That the end wasn't nigh. But there's a lot of pessimism around at the moment. Do I have to tell you? I don't think so. You've only got to look at the news, listen to the radio. Many, many reasons for pessimism today. AIDS, COVID, unemployment, chronic breakdown in marriages and relationships, chronic, violence, crime. <laughs> Do I have to talk about that? Joblessness, poverty, homelessness, hunger, Natal floods, the Ukraine. It just... You know, you've got to work hard, folks, to not allow this negativity to overwhelm us. And if you're like me, and if you look at the list long enough, you've got to start working very hard to overcome the feelings of helplessness and powerlessness, just like those disciples in that upper room. And if we're not careful, we can start spinning downward and ending in despair. And I want to say this, that when we're in this position of helplessness and powerlessness and despair, of doom and gloom, we're no good to God. We're no good to everybody around us. And we're no good to ourselves. And I think that the disciples in that upper room were in that place. And pessimism is a place you don't want to be in. And I know, I know it's hard to claw your way out. It's hard to stay full of hope in a world that's spinning gradually into despair by our definition. How do we do it? How do we maintain hope in an ever-darkening situation? Enter Easter. Easter.
Enter Easter. Enter the Holy Spirit of God coming with power, power, and more power. We don't defeat it by ourselves. It's by God's power. I wonder what they were thinking in that upper room. You know, in the Old Testament, in the story of David, after all that he had done, and certainly he didn't cover himself with glory, they ask him why he did what he did. And he says this in 2 Samuel twelve twenty-two: Who knows, God might be gracious to me. Who knows, God might be gracious to me. I wonder if the disciples locked away in that upper room, spending time reflecting and wondering and praying and worshipping and worrying. I wonder whether that crossed their mind. Who knows, God might be gracious. How about you? I don't know what's going on in your life. Or not most of you anyway. Who knows? God might be gracious. Can we worship God even in the midst of our struggle and our brokenness and our pain and our hurt? Can we allow our gracious God to take the brokenness of our lives, take the pieces and build them into a magnificent picture of vibrant beauty. In the right hands, let me say it again. In the right hands, broken pieces of glass create stained glass windows. On that wall there is a little cross made up of little pieces of mosaic. And a, a little piece of mosaic is a little bit of broken glass, in a sense. But put it all together, and you have something really special in the hands of God. Now, I'm just a little piece of glass, a little rough around the edges, sometimes too rough around the edges. Don't know about you. But who knows? God might be gracious. And I think that this post-Easter period is about broken, hopeless people searching and longing for their glasses to be half full and not half empty. It's all about power. And all I can hold out to you in this post-Easter period is hope and power. A hope born in a stable. A hope who lived and worked among us. A hope who taught and healed and blessed and loved all of God's people. A hope that paid the ultimate sacrifice of his life for our lives. A hope that won a victory, the greatest victory of them all, the victory over death. A hope that fills your heart and my heart with the capacity to win our battles because of his battle. A hope that he will fill us always with his spirit. We have the 
the knowledge, the hindsight that the disciples didn't have that the Spirit is coming. The Christian church is under enormous attack at the moment. And it appears that we're losing ground. But you know what? Every time I walk into this church, every time I meet with hopeless, helpless people, every time I meet the pessimists of the doom and gloom brigade, every time I get into ugly, ugly funerals, and I've had a few of them this week, every time we enter this post-Easter period, I find myself saying to myself, who knows, this might be the time when God will be gracious. When he will touch lives that are hurting and searching and wounded and broken. This is, might be the time when God will turn broken heart and broken hurting lives around. This might be the time when people far from God will find him. This might be the moment when God will open a door for someone. This might be that today might be the day when someone might get that job that they've been praying for. Might be the day when those of us with medical conditions or marriage situations or family pain or fractured families that only look dark will be filled with his spirit. And so I want to challenge you with David's mantra. Who knows? Maybe God will be gracious today. I don't know what your situation is, but who knows? God might be gracious. Because, my friends, you are special. Because you are worth dying for. Because Jesus wants to fill you with his spirit. And Easter is the great reminder that God is gracious. Post-Easter is the reminder that Sunday's coming and the Spirit is coming and the picture God is going to make with all your broken bits of glass, your broken life, will be magnificent if you put yourself in His hands. If you put yourself in His hands. Will you do this now? Who knows? God might be gracious. And this could be the greatest moment of change and renewal and healing in your entire life. Let's pray a moment. Oh God, only, only you know where each one of us is with our lives in this moment. Only you know what is going on in our lives and in our lifestyles. Only you know what we face, what hurts us, what pains us, what brings beauty into our lives, what brings hope. Only you know Lord, I want to pray for you to fill this place now with a great outpouring of your Spirit because we have the wisdom of hindsight and we know that Sunday's coming. I want to pray 
for you to fill this place with your spirit, O oh God, that you will be gracious, that you will speak hope to the hopeless, wholeness to the broken, renewal to the shattered, a future for those who've lost hope and love for this moment and every other moment. Holy Spirit of Jesus, please fill this place in this moment. Will you touch every heart, every life, every spirit? Heal where you must heal. Renew where you must renew. Bring hope where there is hopelessness. Bring joy where there is sorrow. Bring blessing to the rejected. Touch every heart, O oh God. We come just as we are. This is our little upper room. We come just as we are. Come among us like you did that day in that upper room. Touch our hearts, touch our lives. Fill us, bless us, renew us, we pray. And all God's people said together, Amen. Amen. There's only one song we can sing. Let your living water flow over my soul. Come, let's stand.
Jesus, let him fill your soul. Let him take you in his arms and make you whole. As you give your life to him, he'll set you free. 